Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to come and to serve you and to know you better. Thank you for helping us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for opening our hearts and minds to receive the precious word of God. Keep our minds on the spirit of God and not on this world, not on the flesh, Lord. Help us to magnify you above all others and help us to live this life in and after the spirit that you've called us to a life of faith and trust in you in relationship with you and your word in Jesus name amen Matthew the 8th chapter starting in the first verse says when he Jesus came down from the mountain great crowds followed him and behold a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. There's a lot of information in those three scriptures. A lot of great information for you as Christians today. You see, Jesus was setting a precedent here. This leper believed that Jesus could heal him, didn't he? He said, if you will, you can make me clean. He, he had faith for that. But he didn't know if Jesus wanted to heal him. That was his problem. If you will, he said. And what did Jesus say? I will be clean. And he reached his hand out and touched him and he was healed. You know Romans 2.11 says that God is, is no respecter of persons. Another way to say it is God shows no partiality. No favoritism. If he did it for one, he'll do it for you. You get that? It's important that you, you get that. Because we're talking about a precedent that was set 2,000 years ago and it pertains to you today. The doctor's in. And the healing is already provided. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. It's always God's will to heal. And we are a spirit-filled, charismatic, evangelical church who believes in the gifts of the Spirit, walks, hopefully, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet, I can't tell you, but I know it's an overwhelming percentage of even spirit-filled believers, much less all the ones in dead churches today that don't don't believe this and when you don't believe you won't receive that's just the truth sometimes God has a way of getting through all the doubt and unbelief and 
blessing us anyway. He's just good like that. It's his hope that we'll repent based on all of his goodness. But it's always God's will to heal. I'm here to tell you today. And you say, well, how do you know it's always his will to heal? The word of God is the will of God. Now you have to be able to read it through the right lenses. The new covenant of grace and truth. Through the cross. Through the atonement. Through the blood of Jesus. Based on his goodness and not your own. Because that's what entitles you to everything that you've inherited in Christ. Is his goodness. See God will not leave the righteous forsaken. And your blessing is based on your righteousness. You say, okay, well, they see, that's where, I, that's where I, I get off. That's where I don't quite cut the mustard. That's where I don't, I don't add up to all that's required of me to get what he's willing to give if I would just be better, do better. Wrong. That's not grace. If God hasn't provided it, Because of Jesus' goodness, you're not going to get it based on yours. Jesus died for your sins one time, 2,000 years ago, before you ever sinned. And yet, we believe that when we come to God and we believe that we were forgiven and saved, but... We have trouble with the rest of it. And actually, even with the forgiveness, we still think we have to add a little bit to what Jesus has done. That's not true. Isaiah 53, 5, I said the word of God is the will of God because we're going to look at this precedent. First of all, remember Romans 2, 11, it says God's not a respecter of persons. In other words, he didn't do it for this one and he's going to pick and choose which one he's going to do it for. No, he's willing And Isaiah 53, 5 says, With his stripes, Jesus' stripes, when his stripes that he took from the Roman soldiers and and all the abuse that he took, by his stripes we're healed. He was speaking of our physical healing in this particular passage of Scripture. A lot of people say it's spiritual. They're wrong. They have to exclude a lot of the Bible to make things look like they want them to say That goes for Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims and everybody who puts Jesus in a certain category other than dying on the cross and being God himself and the Son of God. They have to do lots of things to make this Bible manipulate it to make it say what they want it to say because they can't get their natural, carnal, fleshy mind around these truths so they fabricate things. Oh yeah, this works better. Let's say that. Lots of scriptures mention physical healing in conjunction with the forgiveness of our sins, by the way. So healing is as much a part of our salvation as forgiveness. This message isn't just about physical healing, but I'm, I'm trying to establish that because if I can get you to believe that, you might believe some of the other things that you're entitled to as well and start walking in victory in some of these areas of your life and quit saying, I hope so. I hope he will. I hope he does. You know how many times I hear that from Christians? I hope so. That ain't faith. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus never refused to heal anyone. Anyone. Acts 10.38 says, Peter was telling people about Jesus. He said, haven't you heard of this, of Jesus? How God anointed this Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Again, physical healing based on the oppression of the devil. <gasps> and, and then we're going to continue to establish this precedent because what else did Jesus say? He said he could do nothing of himself, didn't he? I do nothing of myself, but only what I see my Father do. So if He healed everyone who ever asked Him, then that has to be the will of the Father as well, because He never departed from that, did He? One amen, I'll move on. Amen. Only what I see my Father do. John five nineteen and 8, 28 and 29. So, we know then that it's always the Father's will, always Jesus' will, always the Holy Spirit's will to heal. It's all part of our inheritance as Christians. There are certain things that Jesus suffered on His body on the cross so that we would never have to. He died for our sins so we would not have to pay for them, right? Right? We, we believe that part somewhat. And guess what the penalty for any sin is? Because the world, and it, the world is based in their salvation on the fact that they're better than some people. And God must be grading on a curve and, and, <laughs> and they did better than, than all these people and the Christians who live next door to them. So surely he'll accept them. Well, see, we see God's holy standard throughout the Old Covenant, though, don't we? Wow, He is holy. And even our thoughts, Jesus amplified that even in His Beatitudes, His Sermon on the Mount, letting us know all sorts of things. And through the Scriptures of the New Covenant, He told, you know, yeah, adultery is one of the big ten. But even if looking upon a woman that way is considered adultery. Murder is sin, but even getting angry enough to want to kill somebody, that's, that's enough to say you have murdered. Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so even our thoughts, and you, you know, I guarantee you everyone here in the last 24 hours has sinned against God. And... The penalty for that sin, Romans 6.23, or the wages or the payment or the punishment for sin is death. James goes on to say, Jesus' brother, he says that uh, if you trying to live by the law, in other words, you want to be good enough to be accepted by God apart from Jesus. He said, if you want to live by the law, if you fail at just one point of the law you're guilty of it all I don't want to have to be judged by the law I don't want him to open this book on the day of judgment and rate my life based 
on His goodness. I don't want to be compared to this and see where I fall short. Especially knowing that if I've missed it, just one point anywhere in my life, the penalty for that is death. Eternal damnation. None of us are going to hold up under that holy scrutiny, are we? (laughs) Thank God we have Jesus. When we say that, it's not so hard to believe for the forgiveness of our sins, is it? It's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. But now, can you believe for the physical healing of your body? It also says that Jesus became poor that we might be rich. Peter, going back to the the sicknesses and diseases, because I, for, I forgot to completely establish that precedent. Because a lot of people do say that Isaiah 53, where it says, by his stripes we're healed. Okay, so we go up to the new covenant. Well, remember when Jesus was at Peter's house uh, one evening and Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed? Matthew eight seventeen, It says, when evening came, they brought to, to Jesus many who were demon-oppressed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Same passage of scripture from Isaiah 53. So he's talking about definitely the correlation with physical healing there is that's what he's talking about. You see that? Isaiah, huh? Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. In the New Covenant, Jesus, they magnify that and show that it's based on physical healing. And right there in Matthew chapter 8. And then again in 1 Peter 2, 24, Peter says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by His wounds you have been healed. Past tense. Past tense. It's interesting that Peter said, You have been healed. And that something else that goes along with God is no respecter of persons is the fact that the Bible says the gift and calling of God are without repentance. So if we were healed, we remain healed. If he did it for one, he'll do it for me. It's established in the old and the new. It's a done deal. He became poor so we might be rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is part of the grace, part of the atonement. If it hadn't been provided through the atonement of the cross, then it's not grace. You're not going to get God to do anything for you by your good behavior, but by believing and putting your trust in Jesus and what He's provided for you, what He's established, what He's entitled to based on His good behavior, it's yours. Just by putting your trust in that and believing it and receiving it. Believe and receive or doubt and do without. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, May, for your sake, John, for your sake, Angela, 
For all of our sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, we might become rich. Now, why does that throw people off? Well, I talked about it recently because people that are too too religious minded and they say, oh, I, I couldn't ask God for anything more. He's done more than enough for me. That shows you that they think it's all for them. So they're wrong-minded because everything is for God. He's trying to get it to us to get it through us. Blessed to be a blessing. So when you say, I am supposed to, I am blessed of God to be a blessing, but I don't want Him to do anything more for me. He's done enough. You just cut off His channel of supply. If you think it's for your storehouses to tear down your barns and build bigger barns so you can put more stuff in them stored up, then yes, you'd be wrong to ask God for anything more. But when you see it properly, that you belong to God and that He's the one who's given you power to obtain wealth and you're blessed to be a blessing, then you couldn't possibly say, cut off the supply, Lord. No, you've got things to do. You've got people to bless. You've got work to do for the kingdom of God. I know some people that say, well, yeah, I, I, I am blessed to be a blessing. I bless, I bless my family members. I bless my friends. I bless. You know, if you love only those who love you, what are you doing that the heathens don't do is what, the, what the, the Bible says. So that's not proper either. We are supposed to be kingdom minded. We're supposed to be building the church. I'm not just talking about huge buildings. If you need a bigger building to facilitate the people to get the word out and to to because one thing is good about churches with 8000 people is that together collectively they can influence entire little nations that are in poverty. They can build orphanages and do all kinds of things and get the word out all around the world, but they need the word. They need to be establishing discipleship and being discipled and learning this word and growing in the relationship with God. And I know many, many, many that go to churches like that. They just sit, you know, they go in and slip out and they, you know, 8,000 people congregation. But when they have activities where they serve in the community, the same 25 people show up year after year after year. Like here, you know, <laughs> I, I hesitate to ask for anything to be done. Because when I do, it gets done. But it's the same few people that always do it. <laughs> I'm really not talking about anybody because there's just a few of us here today. But you see what I'm saying? It's that way in every church. They say that 90% of the tithes and the giving is always going to come from 10% of the people. Just the way it is. The rest of those people, they're still in the flesh. They're still just dipping their toe in the water. But they have failed to take... The, remember the Nestle plunge? <laughs> you just trust and yeah. But that's okay. You know, there's people all let, all stages of their spiritual development. That's okay. I know that about every one of you. You're all at different places in your relationship with God. Nothing wrong with that. My job is to watch over you and to know the condition of my flocks and to be praying for you. And I'm always watching to see which direction you're going. Sometimes if someone's circling the drain, that's okay because they need to maybe hit bottom and I can help them bounce a little bit higher. I would rather just see a progression, you know, positive, heading in the right direction, growing toward God. 
growing in every aspect of your life. The ones that scare me the most are the ones that just, they got it where they like it. They don't hear. They don't grow. They just there. They've already made up their mind how God is, how they are with God. He understands them. They understand Him. They've got these wrong mindsets. And it's almost impenetrable, the wall that they build. Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus said. I'm really trying to paint a positive picture here. (laughs) I'm trying to establish that God has provided physical healing for your body. Do you believe that? Do you see it now? Based on the word. I could show you lots more examples, but these scriptures should be enough to show you that it's not just for some and not for others. God says it's my will that you be in good health and prosper even as your soul prospers. He wants that for us. But he wants our spiritual growth to develop as well. Otherwise, it's selfish. And then you open doors for the devil and he'll come in and eat you lunch and pop the bag, right? But based on everything Jesus has done for us, he provided forgiveness for our sins, physical healing for our bodies, provision for our lives for to provide for us and for us to even always have enough left over to provide for others, help others out in their need. That, based on all that, we've got a pretty good life ahead of us, don't we? If we just believe it and receive it, We definitely do. He's provided for everything we need to walk in the abundant life of an overcomer. And see, the blessing of the Lord maketh one rich, and he had no sorrow with it. You see, I've I've had the wealth and the success with much sorrow attached to it. No good. No good. Miserable, depressed people living in mansions all over the world. Can't figure it out. Man. I got it all. What I thought was so important. I got it all now. And why am I so miserable? Where are my true friends? Where are the ones who love me and support me and encourage me? Where is love and life and peace? (coughs) They won't find it in the things that they thought they would. Can't find it in a bottle. Can't find it in relationships. Not ungodly ones. So, we're blessed. We have an inheritance in Christ. We're children of the the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We should be happy above all people. But, (laughs) the kingdom of God is a kingdom of opposites. It doesn't work like the world does. It's quite the opposite as a matter of fact. The world says, take your money and save, save it, put some aside, and it will grow and, you know, do these things. God says, take some of your money and give it away if you want to get, if you want more money. The world's like, that's nonsense. I am not, I had a guy that was at this church when I got here, used to be a big part of it. I'm not participating in that Babylonian system, he told me. Because he was calling me crying about his finances. I'm about to lose everything. I can't support this house. Nobody's helping me. He was doing all these good works for all these 
people who God wasn't telling him to help, and I was trying to tell him that. Everything that's good isn't God. I said, how's your giving? I didn't know. Because when I came here, one of the first things I told them, I said, unless I ask, I don't want to know what people give individually. Because I have to minister about it all the time, and I don't want to be preaching to anybody. I don't want them to think I am anyway. So I don't know. Unless they want to get into ministry, then I need to look. I need to see where their faith is. I need to see if they understand some faith. So I asked this guy, how is your giving? I'm not participating in that Babylonian system. I said, there's your problem. And he started trying to prove to me and tell me how that was all wrong. And all he did was prove to me how crazy and skewed and bizarre his doctrine was. He was way off course. I couldn't help the man. He knew everything. And he had made up his mind. And he, he knew it so much he wanted to teach everybody all these other things. No, no. No, sir. God's people don't need your help. They are screwed up enough. The Christian life is impossible without the help, the leading, and guiding of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life that God has called us to. The successful, overcomer life that God has called us to. It says, sin shall not have dominion over me because I'm not under the law but under grace. Oh, I thought it was the grace of God. Now I can do whatever I want. <laughs> you don't understand grace. You're not living in grace. If, you, if you're living in sin, you've yielded your life to sin. To the Satan, the author of that sin. That's what the Bible says. Or you can yield your life to God and to holiness by the grace of God. Titus 2.11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to live godly lives in this evil age. The grace of God teaches me to live holy? I thought it just entitled me to do whatever I want. Wrong. Heavens, no. It empowers you to live free of the bondage to sin and to live for God and to believe, to live a life of faith, to believe for the things that God provides through the blessing so that you're not hindered by the things that come by obtaining things through the flesh. Jesus said, he said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms or houses for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, in this life. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now this is Jesus talking about us having things in this life. And he's saying the way that we are going to get them and abundantly, a hundredfold, is by giving up what we have for the sake of the gospel and leaving people behind if we have to for the sake of the gospel. He said, you're going to suffer. In this life, you will have trials. But, but be encouraged. I've overcome the world. He said, you're going to have persecutions. This is where some people get off. Oh, no. 
I can't take that. He said, give up brothers and sisters and children and farms. Not my farm. I'll give up my brother and sister and my kids, but not my chickens. (laughs) He's making a point here. Jesus said in Luke 12, at the 49th verse, he said, and I tell you, Wrong page. 49th verse. I came, this is Jesus talking again, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Because remember the night he was born, the angels shouted peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Toward men. Through Christ, but not on the earth amongst human beings. He said, no, I tell you, but rather division. So he hadn't come to bring peace to the earth, but division? This is Jesus talking? Yeah. From, for from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three, there will be divided Father against son and son against mother, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother in law against her daughter in law and daughter in law against mother in law. Is Jesus condoning strife and division and hatred? No. Why then is this division? Because of him. Because of him. He said, If this world hates you, it's because it hated me first. If the world doesn't hate you, it's because you are of the world and you belong to the world. But if it hates you, it's because of me. They see you in me. They hear you in me. You're living. I'm living through you now and you're going to suffer for it. Just like I did. The The world, for the most part, doesn't want me, is what Jesus is saying. But because you do... I'm going to always be there for you. You're not going to give up anything for me that I'm not. I will never be indebted to you. Anything you give up for me, I'm going to replace a hundredfold return in this life. And you're still going to be persecuted. They still might kill you. But you've got eternal life in me. And anything I could give you here doesn't compare to what I've gone to established for you in in heaven. If I can just get you to be mindful of that. To keep your mind stayed on that. Even when those who are supposed to encourage you and love you the most, when they're not for you, the devil will use everyone in your life and in your world to try and discourage you when you try to do his work and his will. Trust me, I've experienced it for a decade now. And it hurts terribly. You have to learn to be encouraged through the scriptures. That's why Jesus on the road to Emmaus, John, that beautiful song that you sing, those disciples, that's why he didn't just expose his, his, his face to them and let them see who he was and say, no, it is me. Everything you said was wrong. I, I, I am the Christ. No, he had a Bible study with them. <laughs> 
He revealed himself through the scriptures because he knew that's what they would have even after he was gone. It's what we have today. I encourage myself in Christ. I know because Peter told me I'm not the only one suffering the same things that I go through. My brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same thing. Yes, I want to be liked. I want to be loved. We all do. God is love and we created in His image. We want to be encouraged and loved and respected and honored. But it's not always going to be the case. And we have to be encouraged through the Scriptures. We have not yet suffered on the cross and died like Jesus did. We have a high priest who has gone before us and has suffered everything and every temptation that's ever come at us. He's gone through it. He, he understands. He will, he will sit with you and He'll cry with you. He'll listen to you complain and all that. But none of that's going to get you anything. Not until you can turn back to a life of faith and pick yourself up by your bootstraps and say, No, I am victorious in Christ. I don't care what my bank account says. I don't care what my spouse says, what my friends say, what the banker says, what the doctor says. I believe what God says concerning me. By Jesus' stripes I am healed. He became poor that I might be made rich. He suffered all the aspects of the curse. He suffered my rejection, my pain, my humiliation. I can shake all that stuff off now and move forward. Yes, God knows what I did in the past, but He's already put those things away. As far as the east is from the west, and for me to dwell on those and have a pity party is as ungodly as me going out and spending the night in the barroom, drinking and doing drugs and carousing and all these other things. I'm not going to be negative about who I am in Christ. I'm going to get down. I'm going to get discouraged from time to time, but I'm not going to stay there because I'm going to run to the I'm going to run to the throne of God. I'm going to run to the word of God and I'm going to encourage myself until I can sense the presence of the Lord and he's there and I know that he's there with me because he's always there. But when I lose sight of him, I'm going to go back and I'm going to put my trust in this word and I'm going to proclaim what he says over my life. Until those lying things the devil is trying to whisper in my ear are gone. I'm going to reject every negative symptom. I'm going to reject every negative comment. I'm going to reject every negative person. <laughs> Not the flesh, but the influence behind it. I'm going to pray for that person that has hurt me, that has let God influence them because they do not have the Spirit of God and the Kingdom of God magnified in their mind and heart, and they've got caught up in the cares and concerns of this life, and they're allowing the devil to influence them. they got their priorities all mixed up, and so they're letting the devil say some things and do some things and get their priorities all screwed up, and I'm going to pray for them. I love them. And it's not them that I'm fighting against. It's the negative influence of this world and the devil. Jesus, I'm almost done here. Let's look at one more thing. Probably the next page over. 
Luke 13, the good doctor. Luke Luke wasn't a Hebrew, and he was a physician. And that's why he is probably the only one that mentioned the that Jesus sweated like great drops of blood in the garden when he was agonizing, because that would have meant something to, to Luke. You know what I mean? He was a physician. In Luke chapter 13, at the 10th verse, it says, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, five times Jesus healed on the Sabbath, as mentioned in Scripture. What's the number five? Grace. Grace. Now, he was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Y'all hear that? She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Have you ever seen someone so so curvature of the spine or what we might call scoliosis? She was bent over like this 18 years. Looking at the ground, looking at people's dirty shoes and or sandals and feet and couldn't look someone in the eye. 18 years. But here she was in church. No excuses. She was there. Let's see what happened. Where was I? Oh, okay. So, for 18 years, and she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over. And he said, woman, you are freed from your disability or infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. People discount the laying on of hands. They just want you to pray for them before you go to bed at night. Don't forget about them. And that's good. But there's there's power that comes through the laying on of hands. If somebody ever wants to lay hands on you, let them, man. If, if you believe they're a person, a man, a woman of God, there's power in that. It's scriptural. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Notice that Jesus said, Woman, you are free from your infirmity. He just spoke to her, didn't he? But he didn't ever, before he laid hands, before he did anything. You're free. You're free. She was already free. But she was hunched over still. Kingdom of opposites, remember? He spoke the truth. You're free from that. Then he laid hands on it, and the manifestation came. That that demon took off. It was a spirit of infirmity. And see, everyone today, I mean, yeah, it might have been scoliosis, this curvature of the spine. There could have been a medical explanation that everybody wants to find out. People run to Google before God. And that's a big, big problem. Your priorities are mixed up if you do. But, because even if you do define it, which might hinder your faith more, trust me. 
My friend says he's seen lots of miracles, people raised from the dead, and people come up to him and say, will you pray for this? And they'll start to lift their shirt or something to show him. Don't show me that, he'll say. You want to get me into doubt and unbelief with you? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It's hard to overcome when we see things. and You know what I mean? We have to get to a place where we can close our eyes and see ourselves without that. See ourselves healed. We have to pray in the Spirit. We have to pray until we can see ourselves as God sees us, completely healed and whole. And if you understand spirit, soul, and body, it will help you to achieve that. And I can help any of you who are really desire to be discipled in that area. It will help you to be free of a lot of things. But he said, you're free. And then he told her, you know, you're loose from that infirmity. And then he laid hands on her. Then the manifestation came and she straightened up. And she was healed. Eighteen years. Eighteen in the Bible is the number for spiritual bondage. She was healed. He just spoke the truth though. Based on based on the new covenant. Based on what was about to take place through the atonement. She had faith. She was there to receive her miracle. So many people, how come you're not in church? Oh, I'm sick. Dad, God, my Bible says if any, any of you are sick, come to the elders of the church. They'll anoint you with oil and put their hands on you and you will be well. Man, when I'm sick, I want to get to church. I ain't going to lay there and let that thing take root. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not condemning anybody. You know, it's a struggle for all of us. But I'll, and, and the day that if I ever do decide, oh man, I just don't feel like it. Man, I ain't going today. I hope I have a godly friend that will encourage me to go. No, man. If you can just get one foot in front of the other, I believe you're going to get your miracle today. God has already provided. That's all it would take for me usually. Get me back on the right track. Stop thinking about the situation and the circumstances. Start thinking about my God and how great He is and what He's already done for me. He's already done for me. Already done for me. All things pertaining to life and godliness have been given to me in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. Oh, that's spiritual though. It's in the spiritual realm, but... That the kingdom of God is inside of you. And you're born again spirit. You are perfect and holy. Healthy, wealthy and wise. And you can get it all out into this natural realm. By speaking and agreeing and seeing yourself after the spirit. Who you really are. This is just the vehicle that we focus on so much. It'll, it'll follow suit if we can get our soul, our personality in agreement with our born again spirit. This body will just follow suit. Moses was 120 years old. His, his eyesight wasn't dimmed and his natural strength was not abated. And we have a better covenant with better promises. Well, we can just start there. <laughs> I'm at least going to be 120 without any sickness. My eyes are going to be perfect. You notice I have glad, I'm not criticizing anyone. None of us are, are where we want to be. But man, we should encourage each other like this. And if there's an area, I've, everything I've talked about, 
All of us, not just y'all, but all of us are lacking in some way in every one of these areas I'm talking about in our faith, in our belief. Otherwise, I wouldn't be wearing these glasses, you see. But we need to encourage each other to believe and to see it God's way so that we can receive the things that He's already provided. We have to get rid of the stinking thinking. Rich reminds me, and then I'm done. But let's let's just look. John, go go to John, the 11th chapter, and see how he told this woman, you're free, before he ever touched her. We have to see ourselves free. John 11, remember Bethany, how I love Bethany? I talk about Bethany. Everybody needs a Bethany, a place where they're respected and loved and honored. They can relax and have godly friends and mentors and be celebrated like Jesus was in Bethany. That last dinner they gave him at Simon the lepers before he went off to Jerusalem to receive his destiny for us. But two months before that, he had been there, hadn't he, in Bethany? And he raised Lazarus from the dead. John 11 and the 43rd verse. Y'all going to see this. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Oh, I, I need to back up and and get Tavana's favorite scripture, her memory scripture. Because this is where Mary and Martha and Mary ran out and told Jesus, if you'd only been there, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. She had that much faith. And in, and she cried. And in, in John eleven thirty five, it says, Jesus wept. so the Jews came and said see how he loved him but some of them said could not he have opened the eye of the blind man also have kept this man from dying Jesus purposely stayed away when they told him Lazarus was sick and he rested a few more days and then he went and Lazarus been dead in the tomb for four days now stinking and deeply moved Jesus came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it Jesus said, take away the stone. This man been dead in there for four days. It's probably warm too. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. And the King James said, he stinketh. <laughs> for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He's telling you the same thing today. Remember, he's no respecter of persons. Same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it for one, he'll do it for you. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around. So that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out or come forth. He's telling him to come out of the tomb. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips or grave clothes, the King James says, and his face wrapped 
with a cloth. All this is important. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Or loose him. It's the same thing he told that spirit of infirmity. Loose him. Let him go. Just like that woman was already healed before Jesus ever laid his hands on her and the manifestation came, many of us have been made alive again in Christ. We have received the new life. We have put our trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. And some of us have actually yielded our lives to Him and been saved. But we're still wearing much of the grave clothes from the past, from the death, from the old life. We're carrying baggage and we're hindered by some of the things we need to be loosed from. We need to stop pondering the things that were and think only on the things that will be or shall be or have been established in heaven and the things that God has birthed in our hearts and we need to speak them into life and manifestation here. The good things that He has. Things for us to do. Things for us to build the kingdom. Things for us to walk in divine health and wholeness and prosperity. God wants us to be blessed in our relationships, in our marriages, in our life, in our home, in our work, in our bodies, in our minds. Remember, you're His first. All these things come with a price. It's not do good, get good, do bad, get beat. It's not that way. He's already done it. It's already established. All of the grace of God, whether it's forgiveness of sins, physical healing, prosperity, peace, love, joy, all those things have already been provided for you by the grace of God through the atonement of the cross by the blood of Jesus. You choose whether you walk in them or not. It's a choice. It's already done. You don't choose whether God does it for you or not. He's already done it. He's not sitting up there making a judgment call on every prayer that's prayed and deciding if He's going to do this or do that for you and sending the answer. No. It's already been done. All you have to do is participate now in what Jesus has provided. It's like I told the man who who told me how terrible his finances were, losing everything, couldn't handle it. I said, how's your giving? In other words, are you participating? And then he told me that craziness about I'm not participating in that Babylonian system. Well, then I came and asked the church. They said, no, he's taken a lot, but he's never given anything. I said, there it is. I, I, can't, I can't help you beyond that. Now, God told me what to tell you, and it's based on his truth, his word. And what else? Don't talk to me about it again until you... Until you comply. <laughs> At least do what God has told you to do to this point. Then if you're still struggling, come on. We'll talk about it and we'll, we'll, we'll find out what's going on. God's way is perfect. I was ministering to a couple the other week about 
doing their wedding, which we just did on Friday night, late, late. <laughs> it was fun, but I was ministering to them about these things. And I told them, I said, you know, because most of us come with baggage, we just the same old grave clothes I'm talking about. And it's not fair to anyone in our life. If we've been in a bad marriage, we sure don't want to get into another one, you know. And so people try it out. They're living together. They're doing all these things. And I still love God. And oh, it's the grace of God. He forgives me. Yeah, but you got a door wide open for the devil. And this is your witness to everybody around you, you see. How are you supposed to minister to that young couple who's deciding if they should do it God's way or like the rest of the world? And open the doors for the devil that they can't see that. Well, this is working okay for this person over here. So why not? It seems better. Why take a chance and fail and screw everything up? Isn't it smarter to do it this way? Our way? The world's way? It looks like it. After all, even within the church, the divorce rate is 50-50. Just like in the world. That's the truth, by the way. I told them with God, the success rate is 100%. Yeah, but you just said in the church it's 50-50. Yeah, I said with God, it's 100%. I don't care if you go to church or not. I care because it's your salvation is based on your relationship with God. And that, that church is where that relationship is going to be nurtured, where you're going to be discipled and you're going to learn and grow in the grace of God and the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to learn how to serve and to give of yourself and to be a blessing and to establish godly relationships, you see, that the world doesn't offer. So if you're a Christian, you need to get in a church. Just like if you're a car, you need to be in a garage. But being in a garage doesn't make me a, a car any more than being in church makes me a Christian. <laughs> but if I'm a car, I need to be in the garage, protect myself, and, and the same goes for Christian. But it's based on your relationship with God. A yielded life. Trusting, a walk of faith. But we need to be loosed. We need to quit dragging ourselves down with those dirty old death clothes from the past because it not only drags us down, it drags others down. And when you focus on the tomb or this life, this world, or the things of this world, and you get so distracted that you don't have time for God and you're your mind is set on things of this world instead of on things above, then you're not going to be an encouragement to anyone who's trying to live for the kingdom, who's trying to establish things for the kingdom, who's trying to let God use them. And you're not going to be on board with that. It's going to seem like foolishness to you, even though you love God and you are a Christian, but lately you just haven't had time for all that. And, and you know, it's so easy to get off track. Jesus said, I am the manna from heaven. Jesus is the word made flesh. This is your daily bread. I encourage you, if next time you want to skip your Bible study, your Bible reading in a day, don't eat food that day either. 
And then when you get so hungry, you have to go to the kitchen and make you a sandwich. I hope you will, by then, you're so starved for the Word that you'll go get you some Word too because your spirit man needs to be fed and this is his food. Seven days without the Word of God makes one week. (laughs) (laughs) W-E-A-K. I love you guys. I hope that you receive this message in love because if we apply these truths, it will definitely help us. Do you see that? If if you're sitting there feeling like I just read your mail before I got here and so I was just preaching to you and about you, I'm not. I was preaching to myself. All these areas is where I need to improve, you see. And I just want you to be encouraged by my story and I want you to come along with me. I want you to grow in your relationship with your God because He loves you and He's the one who has all the answers. And He will put things in such perfect order for you if you just say, Lord, I got a little off track. I I, I need your help. Man, gladly. I'm willing. Be cleansed. Be healed. That's always His answer. Always. We don't have to... We don't have to doubt like the leper did 2,000 years ago, do we? Because it's already been established now. We know it's always His will to bless us, to help us, to heal us, to prosper us. But we just have to learn to rely upon Him and trust in Him. Amen? All right. Y'all with me today? All right. Lord, we thank You for this beautiful day You've given us to come and to learn of You and to worship you and to serve you. Thank you for touching our hearts and minds and continuing to minister to us throughout the week and throughout our lives, bringing these things to our remembrance, these things that Jesus has said and that you have said here through this message today to us, Lord. Help us to recall these things and apply these truths in our lives so that we might grow and be strengthened in our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.